This is a podcast from Minute Media. Hello and welcome to the Over and Back Classic NBA Podcast. I am Jason and with me as usual is Rich. Hello, Rich. Hey, what's going on? Oh, you know, just uh, we got through another season. Got uh, another uh NBA Finals is done. Golden State Warriors are on top again. Uh, quite a surprise, actually, I guess, uh, you know, given where they've been for the last couple of years, um, even though, of course, you know, they, they've been one of the great dynasties of recent times. Um, the fact that they came back this year and did what they did, uh, pretty exceptional. You know, as we were uh, looking for some topics to do sort of, you know, as, as the playoffs wrapped up, Decided that, uh, you know, one that would be interesting for us would be to talk about the players who can truly call themselves the best on a championship team. Yeah, and I will say that we probably more got more excited about this topic. Well, I'm still excited about this topic, but I want to say that I think our, like, initial conversation of, like, hey, this is going to be a great idea, I believe was when Boston was up 2-1 in the finals. And we're like, whoa, you know what? Like, there's a case to be made that Jason Tatum's not even the best player on this team. Like, maybe it's, you know, Jalen Brown or, hey, Al Horford's playing great. Like, let's, you know, and then we kind of got going. And now it's like, you know, in hindsight, it'll be very easy to answer 2022. It's Steph Curry. (laughs) He was the best player on the Warriors. Maybe Andrew Wiggins. Maybe we'll have that conversation later. But uh, I think it's Steph Curry. But, uh, yeah, it would have been a little bit more of a fun conversation with Boston since they seem like, you know, to have a little bit more competition in this sense, but then it got us thinking, well, how many other times has this happened? How many other times is it like not completely 100% obvious who the best player is on the championship team? And, and believe it or not, it's more, it's more frequent than you would think. You would think, oh yeah, it's a title team. Most title teams need a star to be great or whatever. It's that guy. It's whoever that star is. But you know, most people that, that watch NBA or, or follow NBA history know that it's usually not one star. It's usually a couple stars. And that leads then to this very interesting discussion that we're going to have that, there's really only a handful of like teams where you're like, oh yeah, boom, it's definitely this guy. And there are a lot more in history where it's like, I don't know, there's two, three, you know, people that are, are legit have claims to be the best player on a championship team. And I think that was a little surprising to me when we started going through and picking out, you know, the years and, and, and the names. Yeah. And it's, it's very difficult to parse credit, obviously. I mean, you know, even with even modern era with, you know, the numbers that we have and the ability to analyze the game that, um, you know, we have in this era, it's, it's, it's difficult now, much less, you know, fifties and sixties where, you know, the much fewer stats, much more difficult, you know, the accounts are not as detailed. So, you know, this is just going to be our best guess on, on a lot of these, which you know, is fine. Oh, it's no, no, this is show, official. Right? Like all these people <laughs> all right. are officially okay. it. No, I, I don't know what you're talking about. No, no, this is official. Uh, right. Set it in stone. If any of the players that we didn't mention got finals MVP, they must now uh, turn those in. Uh, luckily, uh, a lot of these years are going to be pre-finals MVP that we're going to do in this particular part. So sure. uh, that's fine. Uh, they don't need to take anything away from them. Maybe they can give uh, some of these guys. Uh, we'll, we'll make trophies. I'll make trophies. I'll all get right. it. And, and then make, we'll, uh, yeah. I'll send them send to all them the, the I just families. need these guys' addresses. So All right. We'll um, figure that out. some of them are dead, so that's going to be tough, but I'll give it to the estate, you know, (laughs) I'll I'll contact the estate of several of these people, but uh, yeah, no, I think this is official, and and we are 
the true arbiters, and, and we are correct on every single one of our picks. Is, is has, right. how I'm approaching this, but I guess you can approach Fair it enough. your way if you'd like as well. So all right, well we can go our own way, as, as Philip Max said. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, that's not good. Huh? I, well, I guess they still uh, made some great right. music for a while. You know, yeah, we could right. you know yeah. not really like each other, but still make some great podcasts. So. That's that's a fair that's a fair thing. Yeah, we'll try a new approach. We've liked each other for eight years. Maybe we could. Try yeah, let's like try something eight. different. Yeah, you know, yeah, we'll cool. screw you. Cool. All right, yeah. Hey, I can't uh, even do it. I can't even fake do it. No, that's that's no. not nice. You're very nice. You're uh, a nice, there you nice go. Person, well, so. well, thanks, Rich. I think you're nice too. <laughs> I can't even do it. I can't even fake it. All right. Yeah, there you go. Well, anyway, we are not limiting this just to the NBA. We're going to cover the ABA as well. We're going to cover the BAA and the NBL. Of course, the two leagues that formed to merge the NBA in 1949. This is a big topic. We're going to oh, be I don't know. NBA history tells me very differently. <laughs> Jason, oh. Are you kidding oh, right. me? Like, what I'm are sorry. you talking about? Because <laughs> this yeah. is the NBA 75th year that we we just concluded the NBA 75th year. You know that? Right. I've, I've heard that. Yeah. We weren't as annoying as people up. thought, to be fair. We, we, we right. weren't as annoying as people thought. We kind of let it go uh, because the NBA kind of let it go, too. They did a little bit of like, here's this diamond logo. And then like when a game would start or like when they would come back from commercial, they'd show like Bill Russell for a second and be like, NBA 75. And it's like, all right, yeah. oh, okay. And, I guess the all-star game, they, they did a little bit more, but uh, they did. I, you know, it's, it's a losing battle to a degree. So we can just be right. And that's fine. You know, we don't need to push it too hard, but there it is. But there it is. So, yeah, but yeah, so yeah, big topic. We're going to do two shows on this. This first episode is going to go through 1974 and then we'll cover the rest of the years in a future show. So, yeah, there's a lot of these, so uh, there are quite a number of them, although not the majority, that um, definitely it's very clear who the best player is. No real need to discuss it. Uh, and those are the following. Joel Folks in 1947 for the Philadelphia Warriors. Warriors, not the Philadelphia Warriors. That is not a real uh, basketball <laughs> team. So, yeah, like the Bobcats, not a real team. Uh, George Mikan for the uh, 1947 Chicago American years and the 48 through 50 and 53 through 54 Lakers. One year we're going to discuss here that uh, where it's a little bit up in the air, but Mikan obviously you know pretty much gets it every other time. Dolph Shays for the 1955 Nationals, Bill Russell for the 59 through 63 Celtics. The other Celtics years we will discuss. Will Chamberlain for the 1967 76ers. Connie Hawkins for the 1968 Pittsburgh Pipers of the ABA. Zemo Beatty of the 1971 Utah Stars of the ABA. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, then Luol Cinder for the 1971 Milwaukee Bucks. The couple of Lakers years are going to be worth discussing with him and Magic. Walt Frazier for the 1973 Knicks. 1970, we will discuss. Julius Irving, the 74 and 76 New York Nets. Artis Gilmore for the 1975 Kentucky Colonels. Rick Barry for the 75 Golden State Warriors. Dave Cowens for the 1976 Celtics, Bill Walton for the 1977 Trailblazers, Magic Johnson for the 82 and 87 and 88 Lakers, Larry Bird for the 84 and 86 Celtics. 81's a more interesting uh, discussion than you might think. Yeah, yeah, I can't wait for yeah. that one. Michael Jordan for the the Bulls uh, six championships. Akeem Olajuwon wow. for Horace the uh, Grant Erasure. Okay, all right. I know. All right. Wow. That's, yeah. that's why he was so mad when he, he was in right. Orlando. He's like, screw right. this. I'm, I'm getting the love. But all right, all right. Yeah. You're just gonna immediately give Jordan also. Okay, all right. I guess I'm gonna go ahead and agree with the last dance on this one. You know, yeah. So. Wow. All right. I know. Yeah. Uh, Akeem I think it's Olajuwon. more of a debate. It's not a debate. No, all right. It's right. Not, right. It's not. right. <laughs> Akeem Olajuwon for the 94-95 Rockets. Shaquille O'Neal, 2000 and 2002 Lakers. 2001, we're going to discuss a little bit. Um, might, Kobe might have a little bit of a, of a case there, but we'll get into that, of course. Tim Duncan for the 2003 Spurs. The other Spurs years we'll get into. Dwayne Wade, 2006 Heat. Dirk Nowitzki, 2011 Mavericks. LeBron James, 
2012 and 2013 Heat, 2016 Cavs, and you might be like, well, about Dwayne Wade for 2012 and 2013? Yeah, not even close. You'll find out. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) you'll quickly find out that uh, the reason that he got really good is they said, all right, LeBron, you're going to be the guy. Yeah. Wade, you're cool. cool. You can still do a lot of stuff, but we're going to let LeBron kind of run the show here, uh, and you can be the secondary guy, and then it led to two titles and dominance and some of the greatest years. I mean, some of those LeBron years, and and it's going to be eye-opening again to kind of go back and look at those. I mean, they're just – he, he's stupid good in those seasons. It's not even right. close. It's not even close. Yes. So uh, Steph Curry, uh, 2015 and 2022, as we've de- declared Ooh. already. Yeah, I know. You want to you want to throw some Andrew Wiggins in there? I, <laughs> no, I really don't, but uh, right. you could if you were dumb. But no, I, I, I'm not going to, but you could. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But you probably shouldn't. Probably shouldn't, no. Uh, Kawhi Leonard in 2019 for the Raptors. 2014, we'll discuss it in for the uh, Spurs. And Giannis Antetokounmpo in 2021 for the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, no uh, no arguments for any of those, Rich? I don't think so. Yeah, I think I'm pretty good. I know some people might uh, scoff at the Lakers ones. Like 2000, I think, is not a debate uh, between Shaq and Kobe. I mean, Shaq is so much more dominant. 2002, you start, like we said, 2001 is a debate, and we will get into that one. That one is interesting. 2002 is also one that I think if you really dig into the numbers, you might think on your head or, or on its face, like, oh, that's when Kobe really started to emerge. And yeah, but like Shaq was insane in those playoffs, and we're going right, to talk about that right. uh, in a bit. I mean, he had his way with with uh, everybody in the West, and then, of course, uh, with the Nets in the finals. So we'll, we'll talk about that one. Uh, I don't think that's much of a debate. I could see some people making that debate. Uh, otherwise, I think you pretty much nailed uh, every other one in, in, in my mind. I think there's no real debate for any of those other guys. Um, some of the Lakers-Celtics years get a little tricky, because, but I think the ones that you named uh, right there are, are are definitely Magic and definitely Bird in all those years. So, yeah, I really have no complaints. I think it's, pre- it's pretty solid. All right. Well, if we uh, as we get into those times, if there's any of those we want to uh, look over, there's uh, nothing stopping us from doing that. But again, yeah, those are for the most part, I think, are pretty uh, crystal clear. So the ones that are um, worth debating, we'll get started on those. We are going to uh, choose the 1946 Royals as our starting point. The Rochester Royals. This is the uh, NBL. This is pre BAA. But um, reason kind of chose this one. This is the first NBL season. After the war, the schedule and the talent roster, of course, are reduced in the um, early 40s. Uh, you know, the NBL expands. They've got a whole lot of talent. Um, a lot of those guys, of course, played, you know, a basketball in the uh, in the military. You know, service ball was kind of a big thing. So a lot of guys, there's a lot of exposure between you guys who had never um, played together before, different styles, et cetera. So, you know, the game is evolving and, you know, obviously entering into um, its major league era. So. Uh, Rochester Royals, they were an expansion team that year. They're top players. Uh, so their forward center, George, the blind bomber. Yes. Glamic. Yes. yes. I love this yes. guy's story. This is awesome. Yeah. Yes. The blind bomber. He was, he was first team NBL that year. He led the team points per game at 12.3. Uh, he's ninth all time in career NBL points. So one of the, uh, the best scorers of that league's history. Um, so uh, according to Wikipedia, it says the there's a reference to the Spalding Guide that says Glamic, who is ambidextrous when on the court, is also so nearsighted that the ball is merely a dim object, but apparently he never looked where he was shooting, depending on his sense of distance and direction. Apparently his secret was looking at the black lines on the court. By doing that, he knew where he was in reference to the basket and was able to measure the shot. So... 
Blind bomber. <laughs> not enough. Not enough nearsighted blind players uh, in today's NBA. I don't think. Yeah. So he's like we really he's, don't. He's like a snake or something. He's like picking up at vibrations and lines. Yeah. And I love it. Yeah, I love it. But it works. Yeah. You know, it worked for the blind bomber. I think somebody somebody should do this too. Like not look up, just look down, look at right. the black line, and shoot and see what happens. You know, absolutely. Yeah. A lot of people look at the basket these days, jump. I don't know. Maybe right. should start taking. You know, it seemed to work for the blind. That's a great story. I love that. That is just yeah. classic. NBL 46, you know, just old school stuff there, but a uh, great nickname. No, no great nicknames like the blind bomber anymore. We're not getting we really, that. Yeah. Anymore. We don't really get anything like that anymore. Yeah. So uh, next we got Red Holzman. Uh, of course, he was a rookie of the year for the league. He was also first team all league uh, in his career. He had two first team and, and uh, one second team, all NBL appearances. So he was, you know, elite player in his day, at least for a short period of time. And of course to be a future coaching legend. He's in the hall of fame, but as a coach, uh, the blind bomber, unfortunately not in the hall of fame. Yeah. Maybe we should, uh, we see what we can do about that. But um, Al Servi, he was a second team all league. He was known as a scrappy, tough defender, the nickname of digger. Uh, he had three times uh, first and two times second, all league appearances in his career actually started in the NBL in 1938 out of high school. Then he served in the military from 1940 to 45, then returned to the NBL at age 28, played until age 35 in the uh, NBA, a very rare feat in, in its day. Uh, he's also in the Hall of Fame as a player. And then Bob Davies, who's probably the most famous of uh, these these players in terms of, you know, he was probably the most elite career of these mm-hmm. guys. He was a rookie, um, you know, next to Bob Cousy, probably the best point guard of his era. He would have five first and two times uh, all league teams in his, in his career, five, five times first, two times second in his career. Um, hard to know. We're really thin on the stats. We basically have, uh, you know, we know what their free throw percentage is and we know what their, uh, their points per game is. Don't know a whole lot more, obviously, you know, the, the league honors here, here, um, you know, Davies had the strongest pro career. Of this group survey was pretty much close second. Uh, Davis and Holzman were the only two players on both the 46 NBL and 51 NBA title teams. They were an expansion team, as mentioned, so they had, n- they had no one on their team had been in the league the prior year. There's really no good year-to-year comparison about, okay, how did the Royals do the previous year with, you know, with a, with a new player or whatever. Or, and they also made the two finals after this, which largely the same group. Um, so <laughs> it's sort of like, all right, how do you uh, determine it? So, um I guess you know what I'm just gonna go with the blind bomber, you know, like uh, yeah. Oh, I think that's the, the yeah. only only correct pick, just for nickname right. purposes, just coolness fact. I mean, just right, just cold, calculated, looking at the black line, shooting, not looking at the basket. Yeah, it's got to be the blind bomber for sure. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's uh, anyway, the the Royals this year they dethroned the two time defending champ Pistons with a, a four time NBL MVP Bobby McDermott. They also Cruise past the powerhouse Sheboygan Redskins. Oh, they made the big NBA win. NBA big finals. win against the Sheboygan Redskins. Yeah. They made five NBL finals in six years to win their title, so they did dethrone the powerhouses of the league. Uh, also, a fun fact, the Royals had future three-time NFL MVP Otto Graham and future TV star Chuck Connors would also play a bit in the BAA um, on the roster as uh, role players. Graham actually was on the uh, – uh, Connors was cut before the uh, championship team, but um, – but Graham was part of the uh, championship team win, so certainly uh, exciting times. Yeah, that's an awesome. I mean, geez, that's a hell of a athletic career. You know what I mean? Right. Like, to be yeah. like play professional basketball and you know be one of the best you know, in the early days of the NFL, one of the best players in in in, in professional football history as well. So yeah, right. good for him. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Good old Otto. 
All right, let's move on to the 1948 Bullets, the Baltimore Bullets here uh, in 1948. Uh, very balanced team scoring-wise. Six players averaging between 12 points per game uh, and 10.5 points per game. Uh, not among the original BAA teams. They defected from the ABL, which we have talked about on the show before. More of an East Coast league. Uh, that had uh, long ago been a major league, but by this point, it's, I don't know exactly how to describe it. What would you call the current state of the ABL at, at, at this time? More of yeah. a just completely They're... regional, completely... Um, right. I don't know. It, it definitely got swallowed up and passed by by the, the other leagues there. But uh, they defect sure. uh, from the ABL to the BAA in 1948. Uh, yeah, there's this is a two-person race with some apologies to some of our other favorite players of all time. Cleggy Hermanson, who we talked about before. Yep. Hermanson, who we talked about we before. Love yeah. uh, Chick Riser, sorry, Chick. Uh, not this time. Mike Bloom. Uh, and even rookie of the year, Paul Hoffman. Sorry, guys. You're out of the running here. It is a two-horse race between Buddy Jeanette and... And Connie Simmons. So Buddy Jeanette uh, was late in his brilliant career. He had played in the NBL, the ABL, BAA, and NBA uh, as as well, earning uh, four first-team league honors, two times second team. He won four rings, plus four championships in the World Professional Basketball Tournament, uh, which was another weird thing. that I, I want to learn a little bit more about this. I, I, we, right. I saw it in these notes here. I saw it in a little bit as we were uh, researching, but I don't know that we've ever talked about this uh, very much, but yeah, we yeah we should definitely do a show on covering that because yeah, yeah it was really interesting thing for its time and um yeah uh, uh, we'll make a note to uh, put this one on the list of uh, future ideas yeah yeah kind of a, like an invitational team between some of the best pro leagues and pro teams and and kind of NCAA tournament style but all for like pros you know with all these different right. leagues all over the place or whatever coming yeah. together for okay who's the best of the best you know now you know before the NBA finals before all these teams are kind of in one or two leagues or whatever it's now a little bit more fun where it's you know you're getting people from all over the country or whatever coming to find out who the best of the best is but uh sure. you'll have to check that out but uh twice he was MVP of that as, as well so I uh, ex- insane credentials overall uh, even though it took until 1994 for him to make the Hall of Fame, he did eventually make it. Uh, he was 20th in the BAA in points per game, uh, 10.6. 7th in assists per games, uh, 1.5 assists. Assists were hard to come by in 1948 because, uh, well, guys weren't really making many shots. So you'd pass to them, and then a lot of times they would not make yeah. the shot. So you didn't get an assist. Uh, but he was first in true shooting as well. He actually was a pretty great shooter at 45.4%. Uh, uh, and with this title, he uh, became... As far as we could tell, the first ever player coach to win a pro sports championship. I don't know. I, maybe there's probably yeah. some, but as far as we could tell, <laughs> as far right. as what some other uh, people have said, uh, uh, he is the first player coach to win a pro it, championship. It said so. that in Wikipedia, which I'm like, well, didn't any like any manager players ever win in baseball? But I don't know. Anyway, that's uh, – Yeah, that's not our yeah. – you know, we're not uh, experts yeah. on every – professional sports field i i sure. feel like that's hard to believe but i don't know we'd have to do, dig yeah. in a little bit more but uh All right. he is also thankfully one of the uh few links between the original baltimore bullets who then folded in 1954 so there was an original baltimore bullets that's not technically related to what eventually became the baltimore and washington bullets but he is a part of both of those he was a part of that original baltimore bullets that folded in 1954 and then the current Wizards franchise slashed the former Baltimore Bullets as he coached them during the mid-60s. So that is awesome, being a chain between uh, both of those. And then we have Connie Simmons. I uh, played only 13 regular season games for the uh, Bullets in 1948. He came over from the Boston team. Uh, his case, though, comes completely in the 11 playoff games where he was awesome. 17.1 points per game, 44.9 true shooting, 7th uh, uh, best in the 48 postseason. Uh, he led the team in playoff win shares at 25 
Now, Jeanette, he would average, you know, 8.8 points in the playoffs on a very efficient, especially at that time, 61% true shooting. Uh, he has a 2.1 playoff win shares. So he didn't stink, but uh, I think you can pretty I, – I, I'm pretty safe in saying that Connie Simmons with that 17 one points per game, which is nuts in the in this era too. I mean, just absolutely nuts uh, scoring out. But I think Simmons has the case uh, for the better postseason. But then I, it's tough because then you have Buddy Jeanette who has the crazy credentials, one of the all-time greats, all that sort of stuff. And then Simmons who's just kind of never made an all-league team or even an all-star team. He just had a really, really good playoffs. I don't know. This one's a bit of a toss-up. I think Buddy probably gets it just based off the credentials and, and based off you know him being a more important player overall to this Bullets franchise. But uh, you could definitely make a case for Connie uh, just given what he did in the playoffs. But but I, I, I think I'm going with Buddy here. Yeah, and, and I would – you know, and you and I probably obviously we have slightly different criteria and what we're thinking here, but um, I'm sure. But I would give it. I mean, it's not just yeah, who's the guy who's playing the best when they win the championship. Obviously, they need to have a body of work over the season Correct. and over the yeah, and and over their careers. That's you know, but um, yeah, I mean, if Jeanette had really struggled in the playoffs, and you know, Simmons maybe had been more the part of the team or had some other credentials, I would have maybe given to Simmons. But yeah, I I, I would definitely say um, overall. Uh, I would go with Buddy as well. All right, next we have the 1949 Anderson Packers, uh, formerly the Anderson Duffy Packers. Well, actually, they were still the Anderson Duffy Packers at this point because this is their, their last season in the NBL. Uh, they would become the Anderson Packers, uh, losing the Duffy when they came to the uh, NBA. Uh, in any case, uh, this uh, franchise uh, based in Anderson, Indiana, debuted professionally in the NBL in the 1947 season. They were founded by brothers Ike W. and John B. Duffy, who were the owners of the meatpacking company Duffy's Incorporated. They actually formed the team when they acquired a local Anderson um, meat packer. So, um yeah, the Packers, they spent three years in the NBL before they became part of the merger with the BAA. They lasted only one year in the NBA, along with Waterloo and Sheboygan. They then moved on to the NPBL, which also lasted uh, one year. However, they do uh, have the, uh, they do definitely, uh, they were the last NBL champions. They have that in their pocket. So uh, they, they will always be remembered, at least by us <laughs> and by a few uh, NBL stories. Not so much by the NBA itself. Unfortunately. No. But yeah, I wonder, I wonder uh, how Anderson, Indiana uh, treats there. Yeah, I, we've always said we need someone to greenlight the project where we go yeah. to these like random cities. Like I want to walk around right. Sheboygan and just be like, hey, what do you yeah. know? About Sheboygan? And then be like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, like that'd be we, great. That'd be great. Someone's got to greenlight that. I don't know who else would watch it. It's like, you know, maybe right exclusively the listeners to this podcast, uh, Curtis and. Yeah. Me and, you, and our parents will probably, we'll send probably. it to them. They'll watch probably. it. You know? yeah. I don't have to watch the whole thing, but they'll watch some of it. Probably. Five minutes so. of it. Yeah, probably. Yeah. But that'd be I great. Mean, you know what I mean? Let's yeah. do that. We, let's, let's, you, let's get someone to fund that. You and I could realistically, I mean, obviously, you know, you live in Chicago. I live in. Yeah. Ohio, a lot of these are not that far. We could drive to pretty right. much every single one of these. Yeah. You and I realistically could do that. Anyway, uh, another show idea, apparently, but, uh, um, okay. Yeah. So the 49 Packers, you know, they had, they were, very balanced. Uh, their best candidates for best player are probably guard Frankie Bryan was the first team uh, guard Ralph Bogue Johnson uh, or forward Bill Kloss. Both of those were on the uh, second team. Uh, by far the best career was had by Bryan. He was one time all first team and three times all second team in his career. Also, he was Bob Pettit's cousin of uh, a fun fact there. So uh, he also they both played for um, LSU. 
Uh, he was top 10 in points per game three times in his career. He was a third in the league in 1950 in the NBA. It was eighth in assists per game in 1951. So, you know, among the best scorers and assists uh, in his uh, during his time. Uh, Johnson or Kloss never had any league honors beyond the uh, 49 season. So, yeah, pretty much by default, just going to go ahead and go with um, Brian here. You know, stats-wise this year, again, they were all um, very balanced. But of the three, uh, you know, you definitely could would um, say that Brian uh, was probably, I mean, you know, he had 9.9 points, you know, per game versus, um, you know, uh, Johnson had 8.1, although he did step it up into the playoffs at 12.3. Uh, but uh, yeah, all three, again, relatively the same production during that year, kind of hard to parse out the uh, credit. So going to go with the, uh, the player with the best, uh, historical honors for sure. Uh, interestingly enough, all three of these players would make their way to the Fort Wayne Pistons who had hired the former Packers coach Murray Mendenhall and Brian would uh, end up lasting long enough to be on the 1955 and 1956 Pistons teams that uh, made the NBA finals. So fun facts. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the 1951 Rochester Royals. And I do think Rochester lo- still loves the Royals. I think we every so often there'll be an article in yeah. like the local Rochester paper talking about like people giving their memories of the Rochester Royals or whatever. Yeah. So that's I think they still love it. Yeah. It yeah. But Rochester probably not going to make it on a road trip. That's no, cool. that's pretty far. I'm not going all the way yeah. there. Right. <laughs> we'll go to the Indianas and the Wisconsins. And yeah. I don't, I don't think I'll make it to Rochester. Illinois, maybe. Right. Yeah. Probably not. Yeah. yeah sorry. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Rochester. But I'll just, I'll just assume that they love the Rochester Royals and still care Sounds very, good. very deeply yeah. about them. Them. So uh, yeah. this is a big year for uh, the Royals of Rochester. They finally break through in the new NBA uh, after being bested by the George Mikan-led teams the previous three years. Uh, but the Royals, they're a great team right now. They have Red Holzman. They have Bob Davies uh, from their 1946 NBA title team that we talked about before. Uh, Davies was still one of the top players on the roster, 15.2 points per game, 4.6 assists per game, 6.9 win shares, which is an awesome number for, for this time. Uh, he was All-NBA first team that season as well. Uh, the other two candidates with the strongest cases are also both future uh, Hall of Famers as well. Arnie, Big Slim Ryzen, again, great nicknames, yeah. uh, 16.3 points per game, 12 rebounds per game, and then Bobby Hook Swanzer at 10.8 points per game, uh, three-time All-NBA second team in his career. Uh, as well. Winshares also likes another Arnie. There's a lot of Arnies on this team. The NBA had a lot of Arnies in these days. Yeah, <laughs> not so much anymore. Yeah, no. uh, not too many Arnies playing these days, but this is Arnie. Old Ironsides Johnson. <laughs> Incredible. Uh, 9.1 uh, Winshares for him. Slightly behind Ryzen's team leading 9.3 Winshares. This team rocks. There's so many great players yeah. uh, on this team. Uh, he earned 9.4 points per game on a team best. 56.4 true shooting. Uh, and of course... Johnson, the pride of Bemidji State. Are we going Bemidji? I don't know. I've never been to Bemidji, uh, Minnesota. Am I saying that yeah. pr- correctly? I, or I feel like I remember Bemidji. I mean, maybe Bemidji, Bemidji. I believe it was uh, first season of Fargo. I believe uh, Bemidji gets uh, referenced. Incredible. So, um, yeah. So yeah. this is the Beavers, the, Bem- the Bemidji State University Beavers. Bemidji Beavers, uh, Johnson, yeah. the pride, old Ironsides, the pride He's of uh, <laughs> only uh, only NBA player from a Bemidji State University. So. Shockingly, I can't yeah, believe I that's know. true. <laughs> yeah. Are you sure? I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Where did Ben Simmons? No, but no, he was LSU, right? Okay, all right, he wasn't Bemidji yeah. State. Okay, all right, yeah, I guess oh, you're right. Yeah, no. I'm trying to think right. of other yeah. great Bemidji State players off the top sure. of my head, but uh, yeah. And none coming to my mind immediately. So you're right. probably right on that pack there. Uh, in terms of win shares, uh, Davies and Wanzer are distant third and fourth, surprisingly, right around the same level of Jack Old Rancher Coleman, another strong contributor to the team as well. Uh, man, 
There is so many great nicknames in the 1950s NBA. We have to do just an entire show. But I, I feel like other eras, I'd say the 70s got some pretty good nicknames going sure, too, but the sure, 50s right. are might be the best of all time. The, the current era is the dirt worst, of course. Yeah. Because either is. nobody wants a nickname or it's like first name, last name, or just, you know, I don't know. The, the nicknames are terrible these days. The- the only thing you got to worry about in the fifties is like if if any of them have like a racist origin. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like because yeah. like the, the MLB has like great nicknames for a long time, but then it's like every Indian player's named Chief. You know what I mean? Oh, every Native yeah, American right. guy, they're yeah. like, "That's Chief over there." Yeah. It's just like, yeah, like, uh, yeah like, like just horrific yeah. nicknames that you're like, "Oh man, like why did you uh, have to do that?" That's a terrible right. nickname. But uh, yes. yeah, that's the only problem. But I I'd say the NBA. I mean, there there are a few. It's yeah, it's 1950s America. There's going to be a few, right. but I'd say most right. are, are pretty. Uh, Pretty solid. Jack Old Rancher Coleman is just, that's a yeah, great one. That's there. a great but, one, yeah. Um, but Rancher, anyway, yeah. Uh, when it comes to playoff time for these, uh, Wanzer leads the team in win shares at 2.7. Johnson is second at 2.4. Arnie Risen uh, is at th- uh, his third, uh, 2.1. So it's pretty close between those three. Davies, a distant fifth at 0.8. Way to show up. Bob, uh, only uh, 41, uh, 41.2% win, uh, 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 true shooting percentage, which hurts him a little bit. Uh, so we're actually going to get some help from, and we're going to do this uh, throughout a lot of this as well. We're going to get some help from our friend Curtis Harris, who very recently uh, on Pro Hoops History, uh, prohoopshistory.substack.com did the lost finals MVPs because at this time there is no finals MVPs. There is no postseason awards at this time. Uh, so Curtis Harris did that. He went through all the years that did not have uh, NBA Finals MVPs and selected one. He gave our he gave Arnie Risen the, the the award here at fifty um, the the nineteen fifty one uh, Finals MVP twenty one point seven points per game fourteen point three rebounds per game that is pretty tough to argue with so we have declared it Big Slim Arnie Risen is the best player on the nineteen fifty one Rochester Royals yeah I, I I'm I'm behind that one um, he's pretty I great. Feel- yeah, he was pretty great. Yeah, he was he was a great player in um, his day. You know, one of the better uh, big men. He only had like one um, all um, you know all NBA or all a- uh, BAA honor, I think, first team. But uh, you know, he's also behind Mike and a couple other guys like you know Johnson in terms of the great centers. He was he was right at that next level. You know, some of the centers get hurt with those awards. I think there's only one center spot where with forwards and guards, it's obviously two spots. Um, so on those you know all NBA teams, but yeah. So the only thing I feel a little bad about i guess is that like i mean davies historically probably it was is the best player from that whole you know rochester royals era from you know 46 through 51 but you know doesn't get named the best player on either team you know and uh you know it's hard to really make a case for him i mean he was obviously one of the better players in the regular season but i think the playoffs um you know tanking in the playoffs i think hurts him and then 46 he was just wasn't quite established well enough so i think individually both cases make sense but i just i feel a little bit like off like oh like historically he was probably the best player you know throughout that throughout that entire time and yet doesn't get the quite get the kudos that i feel like he deserves overall if that makes sense yeah no for sure yeah but we're gonna keep it so it's uh sorry bob davies too bad bob too bad (laughs) too bad bob should have a better nickname (laughs) exactly (laughs) all right so 1952 lakers as we mentioned all the other lakers uh dynasty years uh, George Mikan, very clear. Fifty-two, eh, only time worth in which there's a a debate about it, and honestly, it's not that much of a debate. But we're gonna go with that for anyway, the purposes so. of this show. We'll we'll debate it a right. bit, but uh, yeah, you'll 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 maybe see when it's all done. But right. So you know they so 
obviously they weren't just George Mikan. They also were Ver Mickelson, who I think has a case for this season. Uh, Jim Pollard and Slater Martin were also Hall of Famers, and you know they were on the team for all or most of that 1948 through 1954 dynasty. They won six titles in seven years. Mikan also won a seventh title with the 1947 Chicago American years in the NBL before that team folded, and then he ended up with the uh, with the Lakers. But anyway. 1952, Mickelson did lead the team in win shares per 48, uh, very, very close, 270 to Mikan's 268. So, you know, percentage points difference. He was a more efficient scorer, 490 true shooting versus uh, uh, 459. Really, that's the only statistical advantage he had. You know, you look at raw numbers, Mikan, 23.6 points per game, 15.9 rebounds per game to Mickelson's 13.3 and 8.5 respectively. And Mikan significantly outplayed him in playoffs. So really, yeah, I was looking at this. I was like, I, I thought there was a case at first and then I looked at it more deeply. I'm like, yeah, yeah, actually not really, but uh, you know, it's worth a try. You got to try yeah. at least, but uh, yeah, George is, yeah. he's, he was, he was good. He was really <laughs> damn good. And, and people, I, I think don't appreciate that. And I understand there's certain reasons why, you know, maybe this era, you, you know, the, uh, you know why this era is, is looked upon with without favor, but yeah, he was really really good. And interestingly enough, um, Mikan's win shares total between the 1949 and 1954 seasons, which was 107.1, nearly equal to the combined totals of Mick- Mickelson, Pollard, and Martin during the same period of 110.9. <laughs> so basically, you know, four more win shares between those three players than Mike had, had um, on itself. Now, win shares obviously not perfect, not. But, you know, it, it tells a story and it tells a really interesting story here. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, it's it's sometimes it's it's easy to kind of forget and just kind of do. Oh, yeah, well, that league, you know, nobody, there was a lot of great players at that time. And Mikan was so much better than almost everybody. You know what I mean? Like he is right, significantly right. better. He, he did, I, I know that people initially just look and go, he's got glasses. He looks like a dork of uh, the league. You know, just like if people just don't respect him. But, like, all you can do is play in the era that you played in. You know what I mean? Like, right. the, all George Mikey could do is play in the era he played in. And what he did in the area he played in was be, like, inc- so incredibly great and so <laughs> just insanely, insanely great. That right there, three great players in that time period, like you're saying, and all three of those equal George Mikan's win shares on its own. I mean, come on, <laughs> this guy is incredible. He's just an right. incredible player. Uh, so yeah. yeah, don't 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 get caught up in the in the BS of oh, there are these plumbers and yeah, whatever. I, I forget what the right. current quote going around is or whatever. I forget right. who JD Redick or something said. I mean, these George Mikan was incredible. All you can do is play in the yeah. area you played in, and he played fucking incredible. So right there we go. Mini rants on George Mikan. Let's go right. to go. the All 1956 right. Philadelphia Warriors. I think this is a uh, Interesting debate here. I think there's two guys that at least have a a, a potential case here. Uh, again, if you want more details on this, uh, uh, Curtis Harris, prohopeshistory.substack.com, wrote a great uh, piece on this one as well. But I believe it's between Neil Johnston and Paul Arizon, and those are two. You know, and those guys would 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 bounce back and forth between you know being the more important players in in, in this time, obviously pre um, you know. Well, it's going to come to town pretty soon, and that's going to change sure. a lot of things in Philadelphia. But uh, after a couple years in the NBA wilderness, the Warriors get their mojo back thanks to the return uh, to form of a former star and some fresh new faces. I believe the first time ever and uh, always that the Warriors uh, franchise will do this, where you know they'll have yeah. stars and they'll be good, and then some new faces will come in and then they'll win a title. I think that's pretty much it. All right. Never yeah. happened again for the, uh, the Philadelphia slash Golden State slash Warriors, whatever. Uh, anyway, the Warriors of the early 50s, carried by Neil Old Hoss Johnson, uh, who we've talked about many, many times, uh, the best center of his time, not named George Mikan. 
while pitching Paul Arizin was in the Marines. He's gone fighting the war and old Haas is ready to take over here. Uh, Arizin does return in 1955, but never really gets back his old form until this year where he kind of gets back uh, together. What happens to is uh, Tom Gola, who joins the team, uh, really helps uh, things as a rookie and the Warriors return to their championship form. Now, the debate between these two uh, is going to be tough. Johnson, 22.1 points per game, 12.5 rebounds per game, 3.2 assists per game, 25.1 PR, 13.9 win shares. Great season for him. Paul Arizon, though, no slouch at all. 24.2 points per game, 7.5 rebounds per game, 2.6 assists per game, 21.3 PR, 12.2 win shares. So great for him. Postseason-wise, I think you kind of see a separation here. Paul Arizon steps up big time, 28.9 points per game, 8.4 rebounds per game, 2.9 assists per game, 24.2 PR, 2.2 win shares. But Johnston, on, on the back of some really good shooting as well as some great rebounding, 20.3 points per game, 14.3 rebounds, 5.1 assists per game, 22 PR, 1.6 win shares. So, ah, this is tough. I Curtis Harris, he would give it to Arizon. He would give him the lost 1956 Finals MVP. Uh, award, but uh, the best case for Arizon probably is that Johnson always put up extremely strong numbers, uh, whether the Warriors won or lost, while Arizon's bounced back from good to elite, really made the team go from like kind of middling team uh, when he was out and, you know, obviously when he returned to then when he got back, they became a champion. So I, I think it's, it, you look at it from that context, I think Arizon's got to be the best player on this team. I mean, he, he, to me, was more important to that team becoming great again. Uh, than, than Johnston was. So I'm going with pitching Paul Arizon as the best player on the 56 Warriors. Right. Well, yeah, the, the first year that Arizon left, you know, Johnston put up huge numbers, but the Warriors won like 12 games. Like they were one of the worst teams of all time. And then, then yeah, and you know, then now that wasn't Johnston's fault, but it's it does speak. I, I do think that like, you know, Arizon was that guy who could raise their ceiling just because of that ability to take on the scoring load, the ability to, um, you know, make plays. Um, you know, he was good off the dribble too, especially, you know, for his area, even though he was a forward, he had Yardley had a great, du uh, duel in the 1956 finals. Um, you know, so, so they both really performed well. And I do think that the, the way that Arizona stepped up, especially in the playoffs. And I think the fact that, you know, the, the fact that the team's fortune seemed to rise and fall more with him than they did with Johnson, you know, leads me to uh, agree that Arizona's probably the best choice here. All right, 1957 Celtics. This is the first team in the Bill Russell Celtics dynasty that won 11 titles in 13 years. You'd be, uh, you'd be tempted, excuse me, to default to him. Uh, but, you know, he's a rookie this year, only played 48 games that season. He actually joined the team in late December after the 1956 Summer Olympics in Australia, which were held in December because they were in Australia. And then summer is in December in Australia. So, um, yeah, but they were incredible. Well, yeah, they they were very well balanced. You know, uh, Russell, as well as Bob Cousy, Tom Heinsohn, Bill Sharman, all have decent cases as the team's best player. All four of them were in the top 20 in the league in PER and win shares per 48. Um, so all really good. Uh, the Celtics were 28 and 20 with uh, Russell, which is a 58 uh, winning percentage, 58 percent winning percentage, 16 and eight without him, 67 percent winning percentage. So they were clearly an elite team, at least in the regular season without him. Uh, Russell was second in the team in PER behind Kuzi, fourth of Winchester 48. He led the league in rebounds per game. Kuzi that year, well, he was MVP. So that's definitely a, a strong um, you know, selection in his case. Uh, he was first team all NBA led the league in assists and was eighth in points per game. So, so he's scoring a lot as well, uh, lead scorer. Um, 
Sharman was sixth in the league in points per game, seventh in assists per game, although way behind Kuzi's numbers and assists. Uh, he was also first team All NBA, led the team in Winchester 48. Uh, Heinsohn, he was rookie of the year, uh, stepped up big in the playoffs. He led the team in points per game, was second in rebounds per in per game in the um, in the playoffs. And he also dropped uh, 37 points, 23 rebounds in Game 7 of the Finals against the Hawks. That was a game in which Kuzi and Sherman went a combined 5 for 40 from the field. But honestly, his case is probably the fourth best of the four. Um, and if you look at their playoff numbers, the four of them, along with Frank Ramsey, who was you know their super sixth man, all ranged between 1.2 and 1.4 win shares in the playoffs. So, you know, trying to determine credit for all of these is, is tough. So... You know, of the three that we're that we're looking at here, you know, is it the player who people believe to be the best on the team in the league at the time? You know, Kuzi, which certainly did not have a bad case for that at all. You know, he was their big playmaker. You know, he he drove the engine for them. Um, you know, he was a great player. However, he'd been at that level for several years, and they never won a championship before. Uh, same case with um, with Bill Sharman. You know, he's the best and most efficient scorer on the team. Probably a little underappreciated historically, uh, you know, the way that he was able to shoot the ball, come off screens, get to the line, and, you know, it was, he was the best free throw shooter of his era. So there's that. And then, of course, you know, you got Bill Russell, the foundational star. His defense revolutionizes the league, obviously fuels the greatest dynasty in NBA history and is going to be the best player for, uh, you know, most of those teams, if not this one. I don't know. Rich, what do you think? Ah, this is a really tough one. Because um, like you're saying, Kuzi probably considered the best player of these guys in the league at the time. I mean, very soon after, people are going to really realize how great Bill Russell was, and he's going to get a lot uh, of, of the credit for the success. But at this time, it's it's so close that optics-wise, you're probably going to give it to Bob Kuzi. I think we're going to give a lot of them to Bill Russell over the next decade. So I, I, I don't know, man. I... I I think I go with Kuzi, but it's it's a lot closer. I want to give it to Russell, though. I really do, because like you said, this is all of a sudden Russell comes here and all of a sudden, hey, we're winning titles, but nobody at the time really made that connection as much uh, as we would obviously make it in hindsight, knowing how important Russell was. So I want to say it's a Kuzi, but I really think you could coin flip this. I really, really do. Uh, I, 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 yeah, and really, I mean, Heinsohn and Charmin all have decent cases as well. This is a tough one. Now we need a, a four-sided coin here <laughs> to, to determine this one, I guess, so. Yeah, I I am going to. I'm also going to go with Kuzi, but like, yeah, I I feel it's it's extremely extremely close between um, him and Russell and and Ian Charman too. Yeah, if you wanted to go with any of them, I I think you have a, a decent case for him. Yeah, tough one for sure. Yeah. Um, all right, let's go to the 1958 St. Louis Hawks, and this is a pretty interesting one. I think it's a two horse race, obviously, <laughs> between Bob Pettit uh, and Cliff Hagen, and I think it's a lot closer than might people might think. But uh, there's going to be one game I think that's going to determine this entire thing here. Uh, so Bob Pettit, obviously, default you would say Bob Pettit's the best player on the, on, on the 58 Hawks, and and I you know I'd mostly agree, and I think I we will ultimately agree with that. But Cliff Hagen. Very important to this team in the regular season in particular. Uh, maybe more valuable in the playoffs as well. But again, there's going to be one game that I think is going to determine it all. And the, the narratives that will be written about the 1958 St. Louis Hawks uh, will, will largely be on the back of this one game. So I'll tell you the numbers real quickly. Uh, Pettit has uh, 24.6 points per game and 17.4 rebounds per game in the regular season. Not bad. Uh, Hagen is at 19.9 points per game and 10.1 rebounds per game in the regular season. Uh, Hagen has a bit of a better shooting percentage, 44.3% to Pettit's 41. Come playoff time, though, Hagen jumps to scoring up a bunch. So 27.7 points per game, 10.5 rebounds per game. Uh, his shooting 
shooting percentage also goes over 50% as well to 50.2%. Uh, Pettit falls a little bit, or he's about where he was in the regular season, I should say. Uh, 24.2 points per game and 16.5 rebounds per game. His shooting does drop a lot, though, to 39.1%. Uh, in the finals, though, Pettit plays like an absolute beast. Game 1, 30 points, 19 rebounds. Game 2, 19.7 rebounds. Game 3, 32 points, 19 rebounds. Game 4, ah, he's not great. 12 points, 17 rebounds. But let's ignore it because he's going to, in Game 5, get 33 points, 21 rebounds. And then in Game 6, the clincher, 50 points and 19 rebounds. This is going to be the most points in a finals clinching game in NBA history until Giannis beat that in the 2021 NBA Finals. So this one is razor thin. But I'm going with Bob Pettit because he put a 50 spot up in the clinching game. So come on. And and it's Bob Pettit. Like the default answer would probably be Bob Pettit. And you'd really need like Cliff Hagen to very clearly snatch us away from Bob Pettit. Uh, and I don't think he does. And, and Pettit putting 50 up in the final game, I think, uh, makes the case for him to be the, the guy for this. Yeah, I, I will say that Hagen um, win shares wise in the playoffs, 27 win shares. Sorry, 2.7 win shares versus 1.2 win shares for um for Pettit. So, um, so that significantly better there, obviously, but honestly, yeah, if it weren't for game six for the 50 points, 19 rebounds, I would pick Hagan. Um, but it's really, really hard. to It's <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> really hard to pick against the guy who had 50 points in the, um, final game. Now, you know, in those finals, you know, Hagan had, you know, 33 and 8, 37 and 12, uh, one game 18 and 4, then 27 and 15, 21 and 13. The final game, he only had 15 and 6. So, um, yeah, I am going to go. I'm going to agree with Pettit, but if it hadn't been for, if, if Pettit had just had a normal game in game six, I would have gone with Hagen. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think it's very, very close. And, and uh, yeah, I'm glad we gave a little bit of credit to, to I mean, Cliff Hagen's a great, great player. And and I, this, like, again, like on first glance, you're just like, oh, it's Bob Pettit. Because Bob Pettit, you know, you think of Bob Pettit when you think of the Hawks and sure, especially yeah. in this era. But yeah, I, I think Hagen does have a legit case. But yeah, that 5-0 is tough to, uh, <laughs> tough to ignore. We are, we are suckers for nice big round numbers uh, and, and and yeah, getting a 50 spot in the finals clutch game and and keeping that record until 2021 is also just nuts. Like you would just think that like a Jordan or somebody would have gotten there. No, nobody yeah. else got there until Giannis got there in 2021. So yeah, that's uh, uh that's that's too much for me to handle. I, I I like the round number too much. So it is Bob Pettit. Yes. All right. So now 1964, 1965, 1966 Celtics. Going to try and make a case here for Sam Jones over um, Bill Russell. So, all right, do it. All right. So, obviously, for most of that Celtics run of eight straight titles between 59 and 66, no question that Russell was the best player. You know, six MVPs during this stretch, that's going to help. Uh, but, you know, yeah, there is a few times here where Jones at least puts himself in the discussion. So, 1964, regular season, clearly it's Russell, 17.3 win shares to 8.9. Um, but Jones did have an awesome postseason. He led the team points per game. And by a large margin, win shares for 48, 2.90 to Russell's 1.99. Uh, obviously, Russell still incredibly effective and, you know, not going to measure – the stats are not going to measure the defense well, which obviously we're going to put Russell over Jones defensively. So, uh, Yeah, yeah, I would I would do that, and I think that's, yeah. that's fair. Fair, fair, yeah. I, now I'm I'm picking Russell overall here, um, and, and I think it's a clear case, but I would, I would say it's not automatic here, which, you know, the other years previously, it's definitely automatically Russell. So, would you agree with that? Uh, yes, yeah, I, I would. I would say that's that that's that's a safe okay. assumption, or not even assumption, a fact. I'm down. I'm in it, 100. All right. 
65. So Russell wins his first, his, his final MVP here, the sixth MVP. First team all NBA this year, which is the last time he would do that. Jones did earn his first second team appearance um, on the all NBA. He was close to Russell in terms of regular season value and win shares. 48 actually was better than Russell in PER in the regular season. Also stepped up that season even more as a scorer, averaging 25.9 points per game. He was up to 28.6 points per game in the playoffs, which the you know, Celtics were generally did not put the scoring load on one guy. They generally were balanced and you know, had a few guys around 20 points per game. So this was uh, this was unusual. But I will say Russell's PER and Winchester 48 numbers and overall numbers were far superior in the postseason this year. I mean, Jones played fine in the in the postseason, but not did not play as well as Russell. Um and given that, you know, it's fairly close in the regular season and, and Russell had the better, um, you know, postseason numbers or, or better, you know, um, honors in terms of uh, all NBA and MVP. Could also go ahead with Russell, but, um, you know, Jones definitely uh, stepped up here. So any, any disagreement? No, I think you, you got it. You tried, you tried, but it's, all right. it's Bill. Yeah, sorry. All sorry, right. Sam. So, this, so 66, um, Russell leads the team in uh, PER and win shares for 48 in the regular season. Uh, Russell led an overall win shares. He nearly always played um, significantly more minutes than any other Celtic, uh, including Jones. He averaged 47.9 minutes per game <laughs> that season. So, like, Bill, you want a second minute? No, I got it. It's like, we're winning by a lot, right. man. You can sit. It's cool. <laughs> yeah. I love the Russell's the best. Just, no, I, I got to just completely destroy the psyche of all these teams that we're playing. I just can never, ever. That's a crowd. 47.9 minutes. No, uh, no load management in uh, Bill Russell's day at all. So, right. Yeah. So, um, I hate to be like an old uh, guy when the game was the game, but come on. <laughs> That's incredible. That's right. awesome. That is incredible. <laughs> yeah. I love it. That's incredible. So, um, you know, Russell also, you know, stronger in the playoffs again, 19.1 points per game, um, 25.2 rebounds per game and five assists per game. So, Eh, you know, um, again, I, I just don't see enough in any of these seasons, uh, though I definitely, you know, was trying to make the case for definitely, you know, in, in some re- in some ways wanted to in any of these years. I, if there had been just one season where he was clearly better than Russell in both the regular season and the playoffs, there were times where, yeah, he was a bit stronger in the regular season or he was stronger in the playoffs, but he never clearly both in the same season. So honestly, I got to give it to Russell all three of these years, but Hey, I tried Sam. I really did. Yeah, you did. It's, it's just Bill Russell. He's Bill Russell. It's Bill. I don't know what to say. It's Bill Russell. He's just, he's great. This doing this just made, reminded me uh, just how great he is and how angry I am when people do like, Top ten list, especially now we're doing like the with the Curry, and we're like, oh, is he top fifteen or top ten? And just you just never. I mean, people just glance over Bill Russell. It, it, dude, so good. Bill Russell, you heard it here first on this show. Bill Russell, yeah, yeah. I think he's good. First <laughs> time we've mentioned it. Yeah, I believe so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I hot take. Bill Russell, good at professional basketball. That's right. Yeah. Lay it out there, right there. Deserves a little bit of credit for how good. Pretty he good. At, Pretty good. Uh, yeah, at, I would say at professional yeah. basketball. Yes. All right, well, speaking of uh, Bill Russell being great at professional basketball, the 1968 and 1969 Celtics. But this is going to be an interesting one, though, because this was the focus of another great piece uh, by Curtis Harris, as we mentioned, prohoopshistory.substack.com, the lost finals MVPs. Uh, This, of course, is the last finals uh, ever to not have an MVP. So this is going to be it for the the discussion. We will now know who the official – who – the voters voted the best of the best in in every championship. Even though, that, again, that doesn't always. That's best in the finals. 
as we saw with Andre Iguodala many years ago, does not immediately mean the best player on a championship team. No offense to Iggy, but uh, yeah, not a, it, it, yeah. it tends to just, you know, obviously, and, and as it's supposed to, focus on the NBA Finals, not necessarily the totality of the team or whatever. But in this article, like an absolute cop-out here, Curtis selects both John Havlicek and Bill Russell, an unbelievable cop-out at the end of the Lost Finals uh, season. But it is really tough. I will give him credit because you can try all you, you can to try to figure out who the best of the best is on these, but it's really tough because this one's really tricky. Uh, Havlicek is in full swing at this time. Uh, some of the now legendary Celtics of the years past are starting to take a few steps back or whatever, and they just become an insanely great, well-rounded team because it's like, hey, well, is Russell starting to get a little bit older? Is this guy starting to get a little bit older? Oh, here's John Havlicek to kind of just continue being great. But like we talked about when he when he, when he passed away uh, not that long ago, Sam Jones does not get enough credit for being like the stabilizing factor between two different, completely different Celtics teams uh, in a lot of ways because he's going to lead the team in scoring in 1968 at 21.3 points per game. Uh, Havlicek is going to be second at 20.7 points per game. He's also going to add 6.7 rebounds per game. Bailey Howell, who uh, will add himself to the conversation here at 19.8 points per game and 9.8 rebounds per game. And Bill Russell is still Bill Russell as he... uh, 12.5 12.5 points per game and 18.6 rebounds per game. So still doing pretty good. Uh, only two contenders to me are those four, but that's a lot of contenders for the best team or best player on this team here. Uh, pretty tight just using the regular season. Uh, Win shares is going to put Bailey Howard at 10.1, a uh, uh, first among all those guys. Russell's going to be second at 8.2, Sam Jones at 7.7, and finally Havlicek at 7.6. When we look at the playoffs, though, it becomes a little bit clear for me. John Havlicek has 12.5 points per game, 8.5 rebounds per game, 7.5 assists per game, nearly a triple-double throughout the Celtics' 19 playoff games. Sam Jones is close at 20.5 points per game. Uh, And Bill Russell, um, uh, an okay 14.4 and 22.8 rebound per game playoffs. So uh, Bill Russell, good as usual. Uh, John Havlicek, I'm going to go with him here, uh, due in large part to the finals, uh, the final game of the finals, where he scores 40, has 10 rebounds, and seven assists. So I'm going to go with Havlicek. You could go with Bill Russell, but it's going to get kind of boring just always going with Bill Russell. So let's let's change it up here and give it to Havlicek, who I think uh, a big part of uh, the 1968 Celtics, obviously, uh, and I think the best player on this team. Do you agree or disagree, Jason? Where are you with that one? It's it's real tough because Russell's right there for you. Yeah, Russell's right there. Bailey Howell, I think, has a case, although he definitely dips significantly. Yeah, his playoff runs, playoffs, and, and we're going to see right. that in 1969 as well. He, he He's like right. a really great regular season player, and then the playoffs come, and I'm not saying he, he you know, he doesn't so plummet. He's not bad, but it's like the other guys really kind of emerge as like far better pieces of, of these teams winning titles. Yeah, Havlicek, especially that year, uh, you know, two point um, eight win shares in the playoffs. Uh, you know, Russell is at one point six, you know, win shares in the playoffs. So, pretty significant difference there. Um, you know, I, I mean, yeah, the, as you mentioned, the the Celtics definitely, you know, they're they're a balanced team of those guys. Don Nelson also pretty strong for that team, especially in the playoffs. So, um, you know, they had a lot of guys contributing, but um, I would say that this is, yeah, this is definitely uh, the first year I think where it's. Um, yeah, I think Havlicek does have the stronger case uh, than Russell overall. Obviously, um, you also have to consider his Russell's defense and all the things mm-hmm. he did to drive and lead the team. He's also the coach of the team, so um, you know there's there's uh, some of those things I would say would you know go in Russell's favor, and you definitely could make that choice. But I I do think that Havlicek has enough of a case to I would put him over Russell here. Uh, and 69 is another tough one as well. So Havlicek is going to lead the team in the regular season 21.6 points per game. He's also going to add seven rebounds per game and 5.4 assists per game. Uh, Bailey Howell, again, as mentioned, uh, he adds himself to the mix. 19.7 uh, points per game, 8.8 rebounds per game. 
Uh, Bill Russell falls a bit in terms of pure stats. His scoring falls under 10 to 9.9, but he still chips in a cool 19.3 rebounds per game. Uh, Bill Russell, good at basketball again. Uh, And those are going to be the only three I'm going to consider for this one. Sorry, Sam. Uh, I'm I'm, I'm taking Sam Jones out of this one here. Uh, Come playoff time, though, I think Hondo pulls away uh, just a little bit too much. Uh, 25.4 points per game, 9.9 rebounds per game. 5.6 5.6 assists per game. Uh, Bailey Howell, again, he falls off a pretty big amount come playoff time. And I say fall off a pretty big amount. 15 points per game and 6.6 rebounds per game isn't bad, but it's not what Havlicek is putting up there. Uh, and Bill Russell, shockingly, shows up biggest in the playoff time, gets a scoring up against uh, over 10 again, 10.8 points per game, uh, and grabs a, uh, a ho-hum pedestrian, 20.5 rebounds per game. Uh, win shares tells a very similar story as well. 2.8 win shares for Hondo. Uh, Howell drops to 1.6 win shares, and Russell is at 1.4. So if we just counted the regular season, I think Bailey might be the pick here as he's really, really good. Uh, he led the team pretty comfortably in regular season win shares, but his play falls off uh, pretty big in the playoffs. Uh, I think on the back of, of being the better player in, in, in 68, I, I think Havlicek takes it here as well. Um, but I do want to, I do want to give it to Russell because Russell is so great uh, and he steps up big time in the playoffs. But I think Havlicek gets it back to back years here in both 68 and 69. Yeah, I, I think Havlicek honestly has the clearer case in 69 than he does in 68. I, I think it's, I think it's neck and neck Havlicek and Russell in um, 68, and Havlicek is slightly better. I think it's more clear that it's Havlicek here. Um, I think you know, stronger overall. Um, you know, he really upped the scoring, of course, and does it, you know, pretty efficiently. Um, you know, Russell slips um, a bit. He has a strong playoffs, but he definitely slips in terms of, you know, scoring and um, and everything. So, and then, yeah, like you said, Billy Howell, strong regular season, some of the advanced stats like him, but, you know, definitely, again, falls in the playoffs and isn't shouldering as much of a load as um, Havlicek was. He's, he's efficient, but he's not nearly trying to do as much scoring. He doesn't play nearly as much. You know, it's really Havlicek and Russell who are the, the, the two engines, you know, driving this. Yeah, and especially in uh, the playoffs, you see that they're like, all right, let's just, you know, it, it, Havlicek's going to step this thing up and, and, and go. But yeah, right. and Russell, to at the same extent. So Howell's very important in the regular season for them, but it, when you when you include the playoffs, I think, yeah, I think Havlicek has this pretty clearly. Right. Yeah, and I think this might have been the first year where somebody played more minutes per game on a Celtics team. Well, maybe not rookie year, but other than that, like, um, in the playoffs, you know, actually Havlicek plays more minutes per game than uh, Russell did, you know, 47.2 versus 46.1. So, yeah, really. Getting you old. Just take, Bill's yeah. getting old. <laughs> right, <yeah. laughs> getting lazy. Getting old and lazy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Only what, 40, would you say, uh, is, is minutes? Four, 46.1. I mean, oh, that's bomb. You know what I mean? Yeah, Load fun. management. <laughs> Look yeah. at this guy. Taking, right. taking himself out of games for three minutes. <laughs> exactly. So, all right. 1969 Oakland Oaks. We got some ABA action here. So uh, fun times. Yeah. Yeah. You, you look at this roster and you think, Oh yeah. Like Rick Barry's on this team. So he's, you know, one of the greats of his era, you know, probably among the top 30 players in uh, NBA history or so. Uh, Don't quote me on that, but that probably would be around there. So, however, only played 35 games that season because of injury. And to be clear, he was superb when he played, 34 points per game, 615 true shooting, which is great, especially for that era. Uh, 9.4 rebounds, 3.9 assists with a, a 0.301 win shares for 40, which is incredible. One of the best numbers ever. Even led the team in win shares overall despite missing over half the season. So, um, you know, in terms of the best player who played for this franchise in this season, Rick Barry, no question. However, 
He missed the playoffs entirely. It's hard to make an argument he was the best player on a championship team when he didn't even play on the team when, he, when they won the championship. So uh, would you agree, Rick Barry, with, with all that with Rick Barry? Uh, yeah, he's a bomb. Rick Barry is just an absolute bomb, basically. <laughs> it is, right. I, it, I think is what you're trying to get at. Uh, you're trying to yeah, do it nicely, but yeah, Rick Barry stinks is what I have to say. So no, I'm kidding. But uh, okay. he's going to get very upset if he hears this. We better not. Right. He, yeah. He, yeah, it's not that He hard, hears you so. anytime you're right. yeah. <laughs> not that He's like Santa Claus. He, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. He knows like, when what? you're sleeping. He knows when you're shooting overhand free throws and missing some. So yeah, that's right. You know. <laughs> yeah. He knows when you're talking shit about him. Yeah. So. Right. Who else do we have? Well, like all the best ABA teams, you got a bunch of castoffs and ne'er do well. So first, <laughs> we got Doug Moe, Larry Brown's oh, partner. Oh, is he, are you calling him a castoff or no? <laughs> where, where, what is uh, what is Doug Moe? Uh, well, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but the listeners aside that one. Oh man. He came, Came over from the New Orleans Buccaneers. They were the runners-up at the prior in the ABA Finals. This year, he was second-team All-ABA. He'd been first-team the prior year. So, you know, as regarded as among the league's top five, top ten players. Advanced stats don't like him quite as much as his reputation. He's only fifth on the team PER, fifth in playoff win shares, even behind uh, Brown and journeyman center Jim Eakins. But Mo probably regarded as the next best in the team overall, reputation-wise, after Barry. And he would later be named to the ABA all-time team. So, um, you know, great credentials there in terms of it, interest players. So uh, that's his case. You've got rookie of the year guard Warren Jabali. He was the MVP of the ABA playoffs, 28.8 points per game, which yeah. is up from 21.5 in the regular season, 12, 12.9 rebounds per game. Also made the ABA all-time team despite playing for five franchises in his seven-year career. And there are lots of stories and loose balls about him being, well, let's call it a challenging personality. I was going to say, not a cast-off. I think he's a... Right. More of an heir-do-well. Yes. yes. I would say right. more Duvall. Certainly more, more uh, not the cast-off, more than heir-do-well. But uh, awesome right. player, though. Awesome player when he wasn't Absolutely. being yeah. uh, challenging. Right. Exactly. And then um, the other best case, probably forward Gary Brad. So I honestly have to admit, I don't ever remember hearing um, about, even though he was the national player of the year, he played at Ohio State right after with Jerry Lucas. You know, he was like two time Big Ten MVP, um, you know, for he was one of the sort of the end of that great run for Ohio State in the early 60s. Um, this was his first season in the ABA. He'd had a brief NBA career, also had a stint in the North American Basketball League. Uh, was Barry's replacement as a starter. He averaged, uh, you know, 20 and 10 in the uh, postseason. So um, next to Jabali, probably the Oaks best playoff player. He was second on the team overall in win shares during the regular season. So um, I think a, a strong case, but honestly, I think Jabali, just since he had that kick-ass playoff run, no one really stood out enough in the regular season to override that. I am going to go with Jabali here. Yeah, I think that's a great case. Yeah, his playoff numbers are just tough to – yeah, you can't really debate those. Those are pretty awesome. They're <laughs> 28.8 uh, points per game, uh, 12.9 rebounds per game. I, I think Jabali's got to be the pick here. All right, there we go. All right, 1970 Knicks. Uh, Willis Reed or Walt Frazier, the only two contenders for me. No love for Dick Barnett. I'm sorry, Dick. Uh, you're oh, out of man. this one here. Two-person nice. Yeah. Uh, between Reed and uh, and Frazier for sure. So Willis Reed played 81 games in the regular season, led the team in scoring at 21.7 points per game and 13.9 points uh, uh, rebounds per game. I uh, shot 50.7 from the field. Walt Frazier plays in 77 games. He's second on the team in scoring at 20.9 points per game, 8.2 assists per game, and even chipped in six rebounds per game as well. He shot an awesome 
51.8% for the field. For Walford, that is an awesome, crazy efficiency uh, for a guard who did so much else on the court as well. Let's give some love uh, to Walt Frazier there. 20 points per oh, yeah. game, 8 assists per game, shooting 51.8% from the field and also grabbing 6 rebounds. I mean, just a, a great, great season uh, for Walt Frazier. Win shares is going to give a little bit more love to Walt at 15 uh, win shares, but uh, Willis is right there. Uh, at 14.6 win shares as well. So Frazier has a slight edge in win shares per 48. Maybe the playoffs will help us settle it. Uh, crap. On uh, the playoffs, Reed is dominant. He has 23.7 points per game, 13.8 rebounds per game, both team highs. His shooting percentage just fall a bit to 47.1. Uh, Walt's uh, scoring is going to fall a bit to 16 points per game, but he is going to chip in 8.2 assists per game and 7.8 rebounds per game. Very nearly a triple-double in the playoffs. Walt has a slight edge in playoff win shares at 2.8, thanks to his you know do-everything game. Uh, Reed has a slight edge in win shares per 48. God, we're razor thin here. I don't know what we're going to do. So let's see what happens in the finals. Well, crap, both guys are very, very good. Reed has 23 points per game, 10.5 rebounds per game in the finals. Frazier has 17.6 points per game and 17, uh, sorry, and 7.7 rebounds per game, as well as 10.4 assists per game. So both average double doubles in the finals to help their team win the championship. Both guys are big personalities. Willis Reed, obviously, at that time, is just kind of a legend in New York. But goddamn, Walt Frazier's a legend in New York at this time, too. Right. I have no idea. I'm going to coward. I'm going to call it a tie. Jason, it's up to you. You have to pick. All right. All right. Well. <laughs> I can't do it. Obviously, I'm a coward. I'm out. I obviously, Reed, Reed, you know, the Willis Reed moment, the inspirational, you know, coming out of the court at game seven and, uh, you know, rallying his team to the championship. But real uh, heads, real heads know that right. Walt was the guy. You know what I mean? Like, but Actually, yeah, it did it in the game. You performed you know, incredibly in that game. Um Frazier and Reed were both all NBA first team that year. Reed was the MVP that year. Right. So, um, mm. you know, now you've, future us knows that um, Frazier, we're going to pick Frazier and it's going to be very clear in 1973. So it's tempting to pick Reed here. So Reed gets his due. I think Reed, you know, obviously won the MVP and I think was largely seen as the better player at the time. Now we know that Frazier's contributions, I think were um, a bit underrated to the team. Um, they were also a very balanced team that had a lot of, you know, really good players. Um, you obviously Dick Barnett, Bill Bradley, um, as well. I think I'm going to go with Reed, but it's yeah. the, it's the slimmest of margins. Um, it's, it's an optics. one. I think because their play is so close and so similar that, yeah, I, I think maybe it's worth doing like an optics play in this one and, and, and say like who, you know, if we take ourselves into 1970 and think, okay, who's the best player on that Knicks team? Like you said, people are probably going to go with Willis Reed. Willis Reed had been more established at that time. While Frazier, this right. is his first All Star season, and obviously, we, you know, with hindsight being twenty twenty, we know that for the next decade he's going to be great. He's going to remain great, and he's going to be a big part of them winning another title, you know, later down the line. But uh, yeah, I think it's Reed right now. He's a, he's the league MVP. He comes out is the the emotional leader of that team. I think it, if we did this show at this time in nineteen seventy, a week after the finals or a couple days after the finals, I think you and I would both say Willis Reed at that time. You know, hindsight being twenty twenty, we might go with Frazier, but I, I I think your pick of Reed is is perfect in my mind. So I'm, all right, I'm down. Thank you for selling the debate. All right, thank you. I uh, I appreciate. Well, thanks for thanks for setting me up. Thanks for your alley you where I can slam dunk it. So uh, I always said you were a good assist man. Thank you. So the Pacers, 1970, 1972, 1973, the true dynasty of the early seventies um, in the ABA, of course. Nineteen seventy, we've got guard forward Roger Brown. He was the playoffs MVP, second team All ABA that year. But 
we also have center Mel Daniels. He is um, third. He's in his third of four straight first team all ABAs. Uh, he was also a two-time ABA MVP. Did not win um, this year, but he would win the the subsequent years. His second of his two MVPs. The first one came when it was with Minnesota. Um, if you're looking at the numbers, um, Brown averaged 23 points per game on 57 true shooting, 7.4 rebounds, 4.7 assists, a uh, 20.6 uh, PR, leading the team in win shares. Meanwhile, Daniels also excellent. 18.7 points per game on 51 true shooting. So the efficiency, not strong, but he rebounded incredibly well. 17.6 rebounds, a 20 PER. So very, very close in PER. However, Brown definitely was stronger in the playoffs. 3.5 win shares to Daniels is 2.1. He averaged 28.5 points per game, 10.1 rebounds per game, 5.6 assists, closing out the LA Stars with 45 points and 11 rebounds to win the title. You know, a great clinching game. I think it's another case. It, it's it's sort of similar to the um, the Pettit um, uh, and Cliff Hagen um, issue where, you know, extremely close, but I think that Brown definitely – uh, in this game, especially having that, um, you know, that, that that final game in the playoffs, I think kind of cl- clinches it there. Um, you know, the, I think his scoring load and efficiency outweighing the rebounding and, you know, other, um, you know, talents of Daniels. So what do you think? I, I'm with you. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And, and especially uh, Brown just, yeah, th- there was a little bit more for him, I, I think, uh, in the case. So, yeah, I, I think you're right there with Brown. I, I, I think I think he's the pick. Yes. So, so now we're in 72. Uh, again, I would say between Daniels and Brown, although Freddie Lewis at least warrants a mm-hmm. little bit discussionary because the ABA playoffs uh, MVP. So that's an uh, interesting uh, honor for him. Uh, despite winning the title, the Pacers actually had no a- all ABA players that year on either the first or the second team. Now they'd slipped a bit in the regular season. Their key players were aging. It does kind of make sense, but it's a little bit surprising. Yeah, it, uh, it's, at this point, it's more of a well-rounded team than like one dude being dominant. So it, it, it does make sense. But yeah, it is kind of strange that yeah <laughs> they're going to win right. the title and, and, and be as good as they are and not have any guys. But I, I, I do get it at the same time. Sure, sure. And um, Daniels now, he led the team points per game, rebounds per game, PER, and win shares. Clearly the top player in the regular season. Um, definitely better than Brown. Brown did step it up in the playoffs, led the team in PER and win shares, averaging 20.5 points per game. Uh, Daniels, um, 15.3 points per game, 15.1 rebounds per game. So his numbers are still strong. Um, you know, Lewis, honestly, he, he was clearly the third best pay, pacer to me. He did step up in some clutch moments, which probably was what fueled the um, playoffs MVP. In Game 7 against Utah in the semifinals, he hit a couple of clutch free throws of 24 seconds left and ended up stealing the win. Um, he also helped lead the team to a comeback from a 20-point deficit in Game 5 against the Nets in the finals and hitting the game-winning free throws with uh, 17 seconds left. So clutch free throws were definitely uh, Freddie Lewis's thing. And... Um, Definitely did well with it. You know, if you look at at advanced stats in the uh, playoffs, you know, Brown had 2.6 win shares, but Daniels wasn't too far behind 2.1 win shares. Um, So they they both performed really well in the playoffs. Um, I would, I'm going to go ahead with Daniels here. I think just because he was clearly better in the regular season in the playoffs, it's honestly really, really close. So I I think I would um, give it to Daniels here. Uh, Yeah, I'm with you on that. I I, I think his his regular season helps a lot and 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 steps up yeah i i think he's the good pick here for sure yeah now we got 73 so we got a new horse in this race we've got uh, george mcginnis he had been on the uh the prior pacers team and was good but not he, you know he clearly steps up into 
you know, superstar level type play here. Um, wins the playoffs MVP, earns second team all ABA, um, 27.6 points per game, 12.5 rebounds per game, leads the team in PER and win shares. Uh, Daniels, definitely the number two pacer in the regular season. 18.5 points per game, 15.4 rebounds per game. Also earned a second team all ABA appearance that year was the last time he was on an all league team. And Brown, you know, honestly, yeah, definitely he fell off in the regular season. 12.6 points per game, you know, no longer one of the better, one of the best players on the team, at least in the regular season, but in the postseason, he He's does when he needs to. Yeah, yeah, he, he he bounces back to now the the uh, the box score stats are actually not significantly better. He's, he's more efficient, but they're they're about you know he's twelve point six points per game in the playoffs, so he's not necessarily completely launching his game. But he did have two point one win shares in the playoffs, which right behind McGinnis at, at two point four and Daniels at two point three. So they're all you know roughly equally as valuable, at least according to win shares in terms of you know what they're giving you in the um in the playoffs you know and um so however um definitely gonna choose mcginnis here because he's clearly the best player in the regular season um and like i said it's basically toss up between value in the um postseason but mcginnis really you know he's the workhorse of this team you know he's he's taking the the load you know he's he's continuing this dynasty with you know daniel's getting older and still effective you know brown you know kind of hit or miss um you know, and, and the other players who are, are fine, but, you know, definitely are not among the best players on this franchise. Yeah, I think that's the right pick there. I, I, it, clearly, McGinnis at this time has kind of assumed that role as the best player on this team. And the other guys are kind of secondary dudes. You obviously need all those guys, you know, to, to, to win this title and you need all these guys to be great. But yeah, McGinnis to me, just very clearly between the regular season and and, and continuing that play in the postseason, he, he, he's the pick here. So that's, that's interesting. Yeah. So you actually yeah. uh, end up with, what, three different guys here. You have 70... Uh, right. Brown, 72, Daniels, and 73, McGinnis. I love it. It's it, a perfect right. representation of that team in that era. It's just every single year, it seems like a different guy is the best player on the team. And that's what made them great is that there were so many good, you know, uh, very well-rounded uh, all-around team. So. Right. And it, you know, and outside of the, you know, the Spurs, I don't think there's any, you know, of the great teams in NBA history. I don't think anyone, there's any other franchise who can say that they had, th- you know, three best players during their run. Um, than other than the Pacers, yeah. You know, that I mean, Spurs. We'll obviously get into that when we talk more about the Spurs. But yeah, outside of that, I you know everyone else had at least you know, had one or two best players. So this is kind of interesting. Uh, Seventy-two Lakers not going to be as much of a debate, unfortunately. I believe it is either one of Jerry West or Wilt Chamberlain. Uh, but it is tough between those two because you're talking about one of the greatest teams of all time, the '69 win Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, famously, the year that the Lakers and coach Bill Sharman redeployed Wilt Chamberlain. Not so much as the dominant, insane scorer he had been in years prior, but instead they wanted him to be a little bit more of an all-around player. His shot attempts plummet from 15 per game uh, the prior year to just 9.3 point uh, uh, shot attempts per game. Uh, considering he was at 39.5 shot attempts per game in his 50-point season, that's uh, a pretty big career switch for Wilt. And, and you know, as his career starting to wind down a little bit, and the Lakers say, "Hey, maybe there's a better way that we can utilize you." Uh, and get touches for everybody else. And it works uh, because, uh, you know, team is one of the best uh, ever, and they win a title, and they're very good. But uh, there's still a case that uh, Chamberlain is still in the running here despite uh, not being, you know, the dominant scorer he was uh, in years prior. So in the regular season, Wilt plays 42.3 minutes per game, has 19.2 rebounds per game, and 14.8 points per game. 
on its face. Jerry West seems like the obvious best player due to his 25.8 points per game and 7.9 assists per game output. Shockingly, though, West is not the leading scorer of this team. Gil Goodrich is at 25.9 points per game. I think I knew that, but then I was kind of like, wait a minute, right. Yeah, Gil Goodrich scored more than Jerry West that season. So uh, the combination, though, of points and assists, I think, puts West in the conversation more than uh, uh, Gil Goodrich. So sorry to Gil. I'm going to knock him off of this one and just have it be Jerry West and Will Chamberlain. And especially optics-wise this time, I believe it's probably between one of these two. No offense to Gil Goodrich, but I think most people... Uh, in 1972, would debate you know West and Chamberlain, not necessarily uh, Gail Goodrich. But uh, let's talk about win shares and and, and the playoffs. Uh, so Wilt's going to lead the team in win shares at 15.8. He's going to have uh, the lead at win shares per 48 at 0.219. West is going to be second on the team in both win shares at 13.3 win shares and 2.16 win shares per 48. So it's pretty thin. It's razor thin at this point. Uh, a tough choice. The playoffs, I don't know if we're going to get any hindsight here or any any help in the playoffs. We're going to have to maybe make a tough decision here. Uh, in the playoffs, Wilt, uh, Wilt has very similar numbers. 14.7 points per game, so right in line with what he had in the regular season. 21 rebounds per game, uh, still on uh, roughly nine shots per game, so he kind of sticks with what worked in the regular season. Jerry West, once again, the second leading scorer. Gail Goodrich, once again, the top scorer. Maybe we yeah, do have to yeah. add Goodrich to this uh, this mix here. Uh, but West has 22.9 points per game, 8.9 assists per game, so just great, great season, uh, great, great postseason, and we're pretty split here. Where we can finally, I think, split the two is the advanced numbers in the playoffs, which... And I'm not a huge, you know, using win shares and win shares per 48 for, you know, 1973 or 1972 is kind of tough here. But it, it is going to help us in this debate, I think, though, because Wilt is going to have three win shares and that's going to blow away West's one win shares because Wilt is going to be great defense, great rebounding, great efficiency, all this sort of stuff uh, in the playoffs. Uh, Wilt's win shares per 48, 0.205, while West drops all the way to 0.078. Come on, Jerry, step up a little bit here. Uh, it's going to be in large part due to West. His shooting is not going to be great in the playoffs, 37.6% uh, from the field, while Wilt is efficient as hell because it, it, it's Wilt and he's shooting from you know two inches away from the rim and he's just putting it in the rim and it's a lot easier uh, when you do that. So this one is tough, but I'm going to go with Wilt Chamberlain uh, as the best player on the 72 Lakers. And I think also optics-wise of, 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 of taking the, you know, the guidance of, of Charmin and the Lakers and saying, hey, don't shoot as much. Do the other things that you do well, and, and that's going to help us and him kind of sacrificing for the team and it resulting in them just immediately becoming like one of the most dominant teams of all time, if not the most dominant team of all time, obviously until some some future teams are going to contend with that. Right. So I'm going to go with Wilt, but uh, I think you can easily, easily choose West uh, in, in here. Uh, and I think, yeah, if you really wanted to, you can make a case for Goodrich, I guess, but uh, I'm going to go with Wilt as the number one guy here. Yeah, and I West playoff struggles. I mean, that was a big. Uh, I mean, that was known at the time. I mean, it's not just like looking in retrospect. It's like, oh, he really, he really sucked. I mean, he uh, West lamented in his book about like, oh, he was you know, he finally won a championship. It was so great, but he really, you know, it tortured by the fact that he played so poorly <laughs> and just Jerry West, just the yeah. torture uh, human being. It's like I never so, can win, and then I win, but I suck. God, <laughs> like, yeah. I, I yeah I'm gonna go I I'm gonna agree I'm gonna go with Wilt as well um you and this is also a very close one I could see where people would go I mean you know West was all uh, NBA first team Chamberlain was second team behind Kareem at the at the time um they both were all uh, defensive team so you know I mean it's not like Wilt was I mean obviously Wilt was like in the tail end of his well both were on the tail end of their career but and obviously Wilt wasn't scoring or as productive in certain ways anymore but he was still seen as one of the elite players in the league he's obviously you know has a great season and numbers wise um 
you know, in terms of value, they're they're very close to each other in the regular season. I think it's the fact that um, Wilk just kind of blows it away in the uh, playoffs, or is is going to swing it there for me. Yeah. All right. We agree. All right. All right. Last one for part one. Nineteen seventy four Celtics. Is it Havlicek or Cowan? So. <sighs> Uh, really close to the regular season, by the way. This is the first year we get steals and blocks and box score plus minus uh, tracked here. So give us giving us some better metrics than win shares to uh, to look at stuff. So Cowens, he's the center. He's at age 25, 19 points per game on 47% true shooting, 15.7 rebounds, 4.4 assists, 1.2 steals, 1.3 blocks, 1.9 bucks for plus minus. So very balanced. I uh, didn't have any all NBA honors uh, this year. Interestingly enough, he'd won MVP the prior year. Of course, it's it's tough with uh, you know Kareem and uh, Wilts and uh, you know, all the other great centers being in the league. It's it's tough to get on that list, but uh, a little bit of a surprise he didn't get there. Uh, forward John Havlicek, thirty three years old, so obviously late in his career. Although he played for a long time, twenty two point six points per game on um, fifty one true shooting, six point four rebounds, five point nine assists, one point three steals, a two point zero box for plus minus, so also well balanced and also extremely close to the same value in terms of block for plus minus, also very close in PER in win shares for forty eight. Havlicek was first team all NBA and first team all defense. Um the fact that the the fact that did surprise me was the fact that um Cowens was not on either defensive team list considering his reputation uh for defense. He would be there, I think more later in his career, but yeah, they're both very complete players. Collins is rebounding and block shots obviously stand out, but so does his scoring inefficiency. So then we go to the playoffs and it is a bit of a different story. Collins, Collins puts up similar numbers, um, 20.5 points per game on 46 true shooting, 13.3 rebounds, 1.2 steals, 2.3 box score plus minus. So pretty similar levels uh, in terms of they're up a little bit, down a little bit, but close to the same value. Havlicek, Steps up big, especially in terms of scoring. 27.1 points per game on 53 uh, true shooting, 6.4 assists, 6 point, uh, I believe 6.4 rebounds, 6, 6 assists, 1.3 steals per game, 5.8 box score plus minus, and he won the finals MVP. So I would say have a check it is in the landslide once you put the uh, the – postseason numbers in there he's piling up this this Havlicek guy's piling up a lot yeah. of these here <laughs> this yeah is, we, i think what got, is third right. that we've said on this yeah. list yeah yeah there you not go bad. not a bad player also a hot take Havlicek good at basketball but yeah he's he's a guy i don't know if, i don't know if we all give him enough credit he's a right. great player like a really well, really great player right i mean i i think he he's sort of like his individual because he really emerges late sixties into the seventies to be that great player where in this, you know, he's part of that machine for the Celtics. He's really good, but he's behind a lot of guys early on in that Celtics dynasty. So right, right. Um, it's sort of a weird, yeah, it's like he was held back a little bit because, you know, of, of the framework that he was in, but it absolutely worked well for him and, and well for his team. So um, yeah, it, it's, it's weird. Cause he's one of the most celebrated guys in NBA history and he had that retirement tour and he's, he's beloved, but also, yeah, maybe not quite as seen at the level that um, he should be. If you were like the best player in like, um, I don't know, like uh, trying to think of a random team, like trailblazers history or something like if he played for a different franchise or, or the bulls, if he played for the bulls yeah. during that time and he was the best player on the sixties and seventies bulls, he might, you know, he might be seen as like a top, you know, five ever of all time bull where like he's top 
you know, he's still, I mean, one of the best Celtics, but there's so many great Celtics. It's like he gets, you know, gets falls on the wayside. Right. He's helped so. by being a part of the Celtics, which helps kind of ease him into the league. And then when he's ready to go, he's, he's a part of, you know, championship teams. But he's also hurt by that because, yeah, he's like one of 10 just elite level Celtics right. of all time. So, it, yeah, exactly. he gets kind of lost in the mix. You're absolutely right. That's a, it's a great call there. All right, well, end of part one. We will uh, come back and uh, talk about more modern league history, some fun debates uh, going on. But uh, this was fun, Rich. I appreciate you uh, doing this with me. Yeah, this is great. I'm excited. Yeah, we got some really, really fun teams to debate. I think, you know, the all-time big debate here, the 2004 Pistons we'll talk about in the next uh, uh, series uh, or the next show. As we said, the the Spurs, very interesting in in the mid-2000s because it's, you know, there's, there's cases to be made for people that are not Tim Duncan uh, several times, and then yeah, we're gonna get some fun ones as well as we go to the the Lakers, uh, the late uh, late two uh, thousands Lakers, and sure. debate that uh, even the twenty twenty Lakers. We're gonna have a debate about yeah. them as well, and then I think it's also gonna be really fun too to look at the uh, the Katie and Steph Warriors, where uh, yeah. that that gets uh, you know Steph is very clearly the the twenty twenty two and the twenty fourteen guy, but like uh, those years, yeah. Durant, good player, <laughs> really yeah, good, not bad, <laughs> yeah, turns out, yeah. Yeah, we'll see where it goes. Well, thanks, uh, everyone, of course, for uh, checking us out. Uh, you can uh, find us on social media at Facebook and Twitter at NBA. If you have any feedback on the show or you want to have any uh, opinions on uh, part two before we end up recording that, you can uh, share your thoughts there, uh, see what we, what you liked, what you didn't like, all that good stuff. Um, you can also find us on any of the major podcast platforms. If you want to leave us a rating and review, we would appreciate that. It helps uh, other people find the show. So thanks a lot for listening. We'll be back again soon. Mike Rowe here with a radical idea. If you want to see more companies make more things in this country, Buy more things from more companies who make things in this country. I refer in this case to the incredible t-shirts, sweatshirts, blue jeans, and more made by my friends at American Giant. Everything American Giant makes is made in the United States. And right now, you can take 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com slash Mike. That's American-Giant.com slash Mike.